Hello, and welcome to the Elixir Wizards podcast. My name is Mark Erickson. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, the Thinking Elixir crew took over the Elixir Wizards podcast. The original wizards were not displaced, but they all joined together to sing their kumbaya love for Elixir. Actually, the wizards are here now. Sunday, Owen, welcome to your own show. Hey. Hey. Thank you for having us. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a nice well, place I'm to glad get you here. guys could join us because this season's theme is parsing the particulars. <laughs> and today we're joined with Mark Erickson, David Bernheisel from the Thinking Elixir podcast. We couldn't have Cade Ward here, unfortunately, to complete the trio. But today we're going to be diving into the particulars of Ecto Queries as a group of podcasters who want to talk about Ecto. So thank you all for being here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our pleasure. Thanks for the invite. So this is a fun time. I'm I'm really excited to get into this conversation because David... I think you have some news for us as somebody who tells the news. <laughs> I, I've got a lot of news, actually. But which one are you thinking about? Are you thinking about some writing material? Possibly. Okay. All right. Well, I do have some news there. I, I have some time to write a book called Ecto in Production. It's actually a, an online book. It's going to be a little bit more online coursey, a little bit live booky. And so it's ectoinproduction.com. And yeah, I'm working on it like now. I've got like a, an abundance of time in the next month. And that's my other news item, by the way. So <laughs> I'm, take, I'm taking a month off. I, I left my workplace. I'm taking a month off and I'm going to join uh, Dave Lucia at Bitfo here in about a month. So I got about a month to figure out how in the world am I going to write all this, all the rest <laughs> of this Ecto and production stuff. Queries is included in there, but lots of migration stuff in there too. Can we get through one episode this season without talking about Dave? Is that possible? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, he's he's kind of everywhere, isn't he? Wow. Well, congrats. Also, thank you for building the thing that I literally need because I've been jumping back into Ecto queries and I've been sitting there like I really wish there was like a tutorial, not a tutorial, but just like I want a workbook. You know, like I want example problems to solve for queries so I can practice the skill because it's it's not easy to to write mm -hmm. Ecto queries and just like think about relationships. Which is why I wanted to talk to you about Ecto specifically, but then I saw the thing about your book, and I felt like you had to say something. And I know Owen has some thoughts about this, too. Owen, what were your, you know, you had some thoughts, because Owen was super busy, but was <laughs> kind enough to help me with some of my Ecto. Yeah, I've been busy with Ecto stuff myself. I'm doing some, I think I can say, ETL work. and My favorite. Yes. <laughs> and it involves... Everyone's favorite database in Elixir land, especially MS SQL, Microsoft SQL. <laughs> you oh got my it. Goodness, bless your soul. Using the fabulous and extremely well documented TDS adapter. <laughs> so I imagine this need comes out of working with a client, right? That they have data that's already existing in this format and like, hey, we need to leverage this data. And we're not going to move it, by the way. We're, <laughs> we're, we're keeping it there. We want you to use this database. Is that right? Oh, we're moving it. We're moving it all. Oh, yeah, I was, I was going to ask. That's the ETL part, right? You're extracting right. from MS SQL into what? Something more reasonable like Postgres. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. So everyone's actual you know, preferred database. <laughs> yeah, so Owen's been doing that, and I was writing kind of your run-of-the-mill dashboard that's got like various statistics, and you've got to write a lot of queries for different things, and... Every time I came across a particular query, I was just like, okay, well, this has to do with this thing, but this na thing is named like the other thing. And I just had a really hard time visualizing the, I don't know, the structure of it all. I wanted a whiteboard, but even if I had a whiteboard, I don't know what I would have drawn, you know? It's one of those situations. <laughs> so like, I can't even like visually organize this. This is just such a mess, huh? <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't really a mess. My brain just was, you know, when you're out of practice on a thing, because it's been a while since I've written a query. I honestly, I keep a running list of every query I've ever written. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, it, I'm weird. It's my personal notes. I keep queries. <laughs> Like some people keep, I don't know, mementos. They're handy though. Like I, yes. I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. I, I have gists of all of of a bunch of like just random scripty stuff, like uh, like expiring a bunch of keys out of Redis. I've ha I've had to do that like several times, but it's been like every year and a half 
So I, I'm just so thankful that, you know, I did write those down. And those hairy queries, I once had to do a recursive view on itself to like build a child, a parent-child relationship, but could be infinitely long, right? Hopefully not infinitely, because that would, that would be bad. But the query to get that to work was just, it was pretty mind-bending. And I, and I didn't want to have to like do all that discovery over again. So I totally get it that you have like a, a running log of Every echo query ever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even before we get into ecto specifically, like there's just a ton of complexity in SQL itself or like the way the types of data that we're working with in SQL databases. So to bring along our, maybe our more junior developers, like how, how long have we all been working in SQL and databases generally? I mean, going back to my first real internship job is when, you know, I started actually working with other people's databases and, you know, figuring out how to, I, so a little background, my schooling, I did go through, like, I changed from a computer science major to a management information systems, and then minored in computer science, all to avoid taking calculus, like three (laughs) semesters of calculus, because like, I knew I didn't need calculus. I knew we'd get (laughs) a long mark. (laughs) But Uh, But so I got a lot of database insights, you know, practice and stuff there. But then, you know, when you actually get out into the real world and you're starting to figure out like, why is this running slow? And how do I, how do I, that's the, like, I think, Sunday, what you were getting at is that, how do I get the data that I need out? Because it's across these multiple tables. These relationships are not obvious and direct. You know, it's not just like a parent-child kind of relationship. How do I do this? And, you know, having to learn all of that. And, you know, what's a left join? What's a left outer join? You know, like all those things. So I totally sympathize with the idea of like saving those snippets of this is super useful. I want to refer to this in the future. There's a cool graphic I always I always go back to that visualizes via like a Venn diagram of what all these types of joins do. When I think about a, of a problem, what kind of join do I need to do? I just go back to that. I just Google it. I don't even have to write it, you know, <laughs> save it anywhere because it's it's all over the Internet at this point. But I always, I still have to use that as reference material. And and that reference material that you're talking about is like exactly why and how I'm going to try to format like the Ecto and production kind of content too. It's going to be recipes and like topical things. Like there's all these resources that are out there. Uh, Crunchy Data has a lot of good articles out there about like types of indexes. The Postgres documentation has a lot of good examples just inside of it. There's several, you know, social media masters out there that like tweet database tips all the time, cool little things that you can do. And we all have our own experience too of like those weird things that we had to do <laughs> in SQL to get these this data to look right. And so just taking all of that experience and all those examples and those recipes and putting it into a easily searchable, you know, website, I think is going to be clutch. I thought I was going to write a book, but then I thought, no, I, I can't, I don't reference. I got those like old printed dusty books over there. I don't, I literally don't go into them to look up, you know, how to do some sequel thing. You know, I, I just don't, I, I Google it. That's just what everyone does. But I noticed when it comes to CSS, I don't, I don't Google CSS anymore. I go to what Tailwind. I, I, I go to tailwindcss.com and I use <laughs> their amazing search functionality to, to get close to what I'm looking for, right? Even when and you're not using Tailwind? Or are you always using Tailwind? I only use Tailwind at okay, this point. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Tailwind. That makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Tailwind I mean, I, is an excellent, like, uh, what was going to call it, like a, a resource of just even C- CSS knowledge, even if you don't use it. Like, it explains yeah. how to use No, I, that wouldn't be unreasonable. Yeah. yeah, that wouldn't be unreasonable if you were using it, but not using Tailwind for some reason. <laughs> And you were just using Tailwind documentation to remind you <laughs> well, how to justify it, something. It, it wouldn't be so far out of the realm, though, because it, it's named similarly to like what the CSS properties are underneath. And, you know, it has examples. It has visual examples because that's like a requirement for CSS. Like, it's such a good resource for just learning and exploring all the CSS things that you can do. And I noticed that pattern that I picked up so quickly of just going there to tailwindcss.com and just searching. The, and the same thing for Tailwind UI as well. So I look for button on Tailwind UI. And I, I just, I didn't have that same experience with like Ecto. And like Hexdocs is really good, yeah. but it's not like fuzzy finding stuff like Tailwind is. I don't feel so. like it's even an option to search for something in, in an Ecto query unless you've got an error to work with. <laughs> like if I, I really, if I just, if I know that I've got particular schema that reaches through another schema to get to another one 
and I need them to, I need one to count, you know, you've got A, B, and C, where B is the one that joins through or whatever, and you need, so you're at A, but you need to reach through B to get to C and count C. It's like, okay, I feel like this happens every once in a while. I wish I could just go to a website and just be presented with that scenario and mm. then try to write it, you know, without my reference material <laughs> yeah. for once. Uh, just practice and get used to that syntax because that would just be really good. But David, when, you, when you're writing these examples, please do me a favor and not use any blog comments examples because okay. we're, we're not why, why not is that, we're is not, that not, no, not it's helpful so overdone <laughs> oh. not helpful not even remotely related to anything anyone does ever it took me a second to figure out what you're talking about they're like the, the whole example of post and author and article like has that many whole, comments yes Yes. Is always the thing. Please, please, please don't do that one. How about do pie that? has many cherries. I don't care anything else. How about Pokemon? Maybe I can do Pokemon or something. Yeah, oh. Pokemon would, be, would help. Uh, although you get kind of object oriented there. So you, or yeah, maybe, that's I don't okay. Know. Yeah, yeah. There's there's plenty of like relational data that you can put with Pokemon. Like has abilities and yeah. you know <laughs> attributes with more than you know a certain amount or something like that. Evolves into Raichu. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to. So I'm going to ask this question. Uh, I, I, I'm going to share mine first. But like, there's this thing that I'm missing from Ecto that just is not supported, and I would love to see it. I don't expect any of us to answer this question, but it's like doing subselects. Sometimes I wish I could do a. So in the select where you say I'm, I want to select from a field, that field name can be a select. Sometimes I want to do that. Because it just makes sense for what I'm doing. But it's just not supported in Ecto. So when you need to do that now, are you writing a, a string SQL query or are you just not able to do it? So I'll just have to format the, do it like through a join or something, do it separately. I mean, Ecto does support subqueries and stuff. Do and you have to do it in SQL in Ecto? But not, not in the select. Oh. Maybe you can use select merge. I don't know. So some of these things may have changed since I tried to do it last time, but <laughs> yeah, well, and it's, and it's exactly those reasons, just like CSS is like, I, I'm going to use this as my example for the whole episode here. CSS is so large at this point that no one person can like hold in their head, all of the, all of the things in there. I can never remember if like the properties are dasherized or, you know, it, what, what the third position is on the value, whatever, and like I, I can't remember that stuff, and I and SQL and Ecto are similar, or Tailwind is to CSS as Ecto is to, to SQL. They're so close that you can search like the same term and get pretty close to it, you know, in in, in raw SQL and in Ecto. Um, but we we need that resource, and then like you said, you need to be able to like play with it in your in your example, maybe in your database, and that's where LiveBook I think is going to be really clutch too. So the website for searching and stuff, but then. Uh, download as a as a, a live book so you can take it offline and do what you need to do yeah we, we're talking about searching like and i've been working a lot with ecto lately i've done a little bit here and there over the years but i find the repo module docs especially kind of confusing to navigate like if i'm looking for a particular function even after you know weeks of like looking at ecto docs it's like, is it a query API? Is it the repo API? Is it Ecto or is it Ecto SQL? So uh, yeah. if you're finding yourself in that kind of situation where like, I just don't know where this function is, that search, that search mm -hmm. is going to save you in the hex docs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I do that all the time. I think my Google bar just like goes to the hex docs slash Ecto one. And then I'll search for the thing in there, but it's not in there because it's usually migration related or something. <laughs> and that's because that's in the Ecto SQL. I'm like, ah. So hot tip for you in hex docs, if you just hit the the, the G character, G mm -hmm. on your keyboard, that'll open up a, a jumper to different libraries. So you can just do G like Ecto SQL and then you can nice. <laughs> you stay okay. on the keyboard. Yeah, little little tip for you. But yeah, I do that all the time. Cool. So I've been doing a lot a lot with the uh, data migrations in Ecto. I think one thing I'd like to talk about here is kind of distinguishing between what I call schema migrations and data migrations. Mm -hmm. uh, are those like standard terms or am I kind of like... Standard I never to me. knew which word I'm using. <laughs> <laughs> 
Standard in David's world. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That's how I call it. I also say backfill a lot for data migrations because that's usually what I'm doing. Hmm. Backfilling some new column or, you know, new, new table that I need to ETL some other junk from, you know. But I think, yeah, schema migration, data migration, that's that's a good consistent verbiage. So let's talk about the distinction. What are these two different types of migrations and why are they separate? And when you're implementing migrations, like what are some things you need to do to make these things operate smoothly in production? Yeah, well, let's let's cover the easy one, schema migrations. That's that's easy. And this is all about changing your schemas. You're not you're not messing with data in the schemas necessarily. You're just talking about what shape the data is going to be. All right. This is your columns. This is your column types. This is your indexes. You're creating tables. And that's it. But that that's all of it. You know, not really anything else. You're, you're not dealing with the data itself. The data itself is probably going to be input and inserted and updated all from application code. Right. And that's where we want that to be. Data migrations are where you have to just do some bulk action on a bunch of data. And this can happen in a lot of different places. A lot of it happens in application code, and that's fine. That's normal. You know, if, if, if anyone's ever written like a repo.updateAll, you know, you, you basically did a little a little tiny data migration right there. You know, you, you just did a bulk action where you changed a bunch of data. You were just very comfortable with one function call there, and that's okay. You can be. Data migrations, there's some line that crosses where things turn into a data migration, which is where it's just beyond comfort. You know, I am no longer comfortable just doing one function call (laughs) to change a bunch of data. And this is where you start introducing like a little mini system. In the Ecto world that I know of, there's not a good practice right now that like big libraries are teaching you or telling you to use, right? You know, with, when you're building a web application, you're going to use, you know, Phoenix or Ash. So you got those two big helpers, right? But Ecto and, and data migrations, there's just not one out there. So we all just roll our own code, right? <laughs> and and that's okay. But there's principles that you that you want to have that you want to follow when you're when you're dealing with a lot of a lot of data like that because you could find yourself in a pickle. And so that's the whole safe Ecto migrations guide. And so there's like a good section out there for data migrations. But the, the whole idea of it is that you just want to, you want to batch your changes, you want to slow your roll a little bit, and you want to make sure that you do it in a way that is resilient. In, in other words, you don't want to data migrate the same row twice necessarily, right? And that can look like a whole lot of different things. You know, like if you're just backfilling an empty column, then it's it's pretty straightforward. Then you just check, hey, does this column exist? And if it does, if it's, it's filled in, then don't worry about it, right? I don't need to touch that row again. I'm, I'm done. So it's resilient, easily resilient. But sometimes you get that data that's like, I just need to increment everything by five. And <laughs> I don't know if I've already done that <laughs> or not, you know? Like that gets hairier and you have to introduce some more double checking, marking of records, right? That kind of stuff to make sure that you don't run over it twice because then you'll be in a more of a pickle than you started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've definitely done that. So Mark just shared the Safecto migrations link from Fly.io and I believe the word backfilling is used. So Well, David wrote it. So book. yes, that is, that is the word he chose to use. <laughs> when, he, when he was writing that and I was, I was working with him uh, and I was like, what do you mean by backfilling? <laughs> so I don't know that it's a universal term, but it works in the guide. He explains what it means. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've right. heard well, if term. it wasn't the correct term before, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> I've willed it into existence. It's got Sunday stamp of approval. Uh, I wanted to pause for a second uh, because I know anyone who's worked with Ecto, especially as a newcomer to Ecto, and maybe even data stuff in general, like... In Ecto, there's so schema is maybe a little bit overloaded. It means a couple of different things. There's mm-hmm. an Ecto schema that you can create, like when your module uses Ecto.schema, and that's where you're defining like the structure, like it's effectively building a struct of like fields that uh, represent a table in your database. And then uh, what you're describing a minute ago of schema migrations is where essentially we're creating and updating the shape of tables in the database. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm sure I stumbled on that when I was getting started with Ecto of like what what schema am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, know, in, the, in this context. So yeah, yeah, your migrations are usually deployed alongside your Ecto schema that's going to like expect that to be there, or at least after afterwards. <laughs> it it kind of depends on how you deploy too, because if you deploy and you don't run migrations, 
and your app boots and it expects that table to be there, you're, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> but I think most platforms today have a system in place where you run migrations before the app starts accepting like traffic. So you, you avoid that trouble spot. So that probably deploying that way. But <laughs> has anyone uh, but yeah. worked in an environment where you weren't using migrations, where you had, where you were like running SQL commands to like add columns in every environment? If you've been in the industry long enough, then yes, you have. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I have, but I don't know if I'm allowed to admit it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, like, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, working with my first MySQL database from a WordPress application, just dragging and dropping my PHP files over WSFTP, you know, like, yeah, oh, yeah, (laughs) definitely (laughs) just consoling in and and, uh, doing your migrations and then just and then dragging your new PHP file over. <laughs> Why do we have Ecto migrations in the first place? Like what, what's the problem that's being solved there? So my first time encountering this whole idea of migrations was with Rails when Rails introduced migrations. And originally, one of the problems they had is then r- migrations were numbered by an incrementing counter, like number, number 100, number 101, 102. And one of the problems was, is you needed to be able to have multiple developers all making different changes, working on different features, adding different tables, and that was creating conflicts. So then they said, well, we're going to have the migrations, the key be a time signature thing and plus a counter, you know, it's like something to make it so it's going to be unique to every individual developer as they're doing it so that, and ideally they're not competing. So you can do your work, I do my work, we bring all all the code together, and we run our migrations, and everything should be fine. So migrations, you know, when I first discovered those, it was such a better way of doing it than what I was doing in .NET land, where they didn't have anything like migrations. I ended up loving it so much, I created my own way of doing migrations, just to have that ability. But yeah, like migrations, it's just a way of having a structured code way of saying, I want to run this query and I'm keep, keeping track in the database of which migrations have been run. So I can run this if it hasn't already been run on this database and then uh, make that change. And usually what we're like, what we're talking about here is ideally those are database structure changes. Like I'm adding a new table, adding a new column, uh, adding an index, things like that. Yeah. And, and the particular of how that works Boom, did you see what yeah, I did Yeah, you're on, uh, you're on uh, brand. <laughs> I, 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 I am here, y'all. <laughs> the particular of how those migrations like work and know that they've run or not is that Rails does this and Ecto does as well. But there, there is a what is called a source table. And the source table is just a, it's a simple table that uh, records the version number. And by default, it's gonna the, that version number is going to be a, a timestamp, just a bunch of numbers that looks like a date, right? And time down to the millisecond, I think. But it technically could work with just, you know, zero, one, two, three, four, right? It, it doesn't, doesn't matter too much. But there is a, a table that gets inserted into your database, the versions table. I think it's called schema versions by default. And Ecto will read that table and determine what is my latest one that I am currently at. And then it compares that to the migration files that are present on your code base. And it tries to figure out which ones are remaining that still need to be run. And it'll pick up from there and execute. It'll lock that schema migrations table so that no other, you know, instances of your app tries to migrate at the same time, the same logic, right? So there is like a lot of locking logic that goes on there to ensure that one thing's happening at a time. It runs the migration, unlocks it, and then, you know, it, it just rinse and repeats until it's it's done with all of your migration files. So that's that's how it like manages the migration bit. And Mark's right. It's like, it's it's totally just to to be a good system, a good framework for developers to change the database in an organized fashion. <laughs> and I don't know where it came from. I was first introduced to it by uh, by Rails. By that time, they were using dates. But yeah, it's it's a good system. I don't, I don't have any complaints. But that's how that works. Yeah. So migrations are really helpful because you know it could be something even more advanced than just adding a column. Like you might need to add multiple columns you know, maybe on multiple tables at once and uh, having those kind of batched up in what's essentially like an Elixir script. It really helps make it possible to ensure that that's consistent on everyone's copy of the database and production and testing environments. And also it allows you to more easily roll back those changes. Like if you're, let's say you're adding four columns to a table and, you know, like you do that on your database and you need to make, and you need to like undo it because something broke. 
if you're doing it the old fashioned way, that means you've got to go in and write more SQL queries and you've got to tell everyone else how you solved the problem with migrations. It's put into your code base and everyone runs it. Which I have to say, David, in, in this blog post, you have a section that says, oh my God, roll it back in all caps. Uh-huh. And I just have to say, I didn't miss that. I zoned in on that right away. <laughs> well, that, that's the Roll feeling back. that you get when you, when you encounter that error. Like, oh my gosh, what have, what have I done? I have like, have I just deleted the whole, the whole thing? Yeah, no, Ecto, Ecto has got your back. Usually uh, you don't have to worry about that. And that's the whole rolling back bit that Owen just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good system, but you can like, you can shoot yourself in the foot. You can turn off these locks. You can have a bunch of apps all trying to run the same thing. Uh, nine of them are going to crash, but that one will keep on going. You can get into some trouble. And if your queries are not well behaved, you can lock up the database too because it's trying to do too much all at once. It, it, it exhausts the database's memory and stuff. Kind of leads into my maybe next question, uh, maybe a little bit away from migration. So when you're composing queries... For maybe a beginner or somebody who's just started writing active queries, I'm thinking about myself a few years ago when I first ran into writing, I had to, I don't know, select all the orders that were from a certain customer or something. And I had to like narrow it down by customer ID, but the order doesn't necessarily match right to a customer. Like, where do you start when you think about composing? Do you think about the thing you're trying to get? Do you think about the thing where of the data, the piece of data you actually have? How do you think about it? Okay, I'm going to go back to the CSS analogy here. Mm-hmm. You know, like Tailwind is a utility class. You know, it's a utility first kind of like way of organizing your CSS. I like doing the same kind of thing with my queries. I like to compose them in the smallest possible unit that makes sense. It's not a big deal. So having a big, long query is fine. But as soon as I need to use part of that query somewhere else, you know, I, I chunk it out into another another function. And that becomes more important as you're composing these things together in different like domains and, and stuff. Because the order of which you might join a table, it might already be joined. So you have to check if it's already joined. So there's a preloading. whole like, Yeah, preloading is a big deal there for sure. So what I typically do is I, you know, the Phoenix way of generating your project is to create your context module. And then you have separate like schema modules, right? Where you just define, you don't change, you don't have the function in there that changes your, your data. It's just defining your data, right? I introduce a, another query module in, in there and I stick all of my composable query functions in there. And then I just I just give myself free reign. Maybe this is a bad practice. I'm not saying you sh- you should do for this for all but. the domains. Oh yeah, like I Users, just any que- comments, any query blog post. Yeah, any any query module out there. I I just I let it cross all the boundaries. I don't care. I just just <laughs> go go cross those boundaries. It is talking to the database. You know, the database is a global thing already. Right. Let, let's let's clarify something. Are you saying just for the the listener's sake? Yeah. Are you saying if I have a an accounts? context uh-huh. and in my account context am i going to have like accounts.query and that's the query fragments for the accounts or is like i have a top level query thing where all of my stuff goes in for all of my <laughs> like my running you list could of do queries it that way. is dumped in david's <laughs> queries file no no i uh i no i i do it by context i think yeah it would be accounts.query and it's going to be account specific query fragments and if i need to do a account query in another context that's like sales context or something, I'm not going to feel bad if I have to use my accounts.query module, you know, that's what I mean, where I would cross boundaries in that way. I don't, I don't think it's necessary to copy and paste your code until it needs to diverge. Right. But so for a beginner though, you're still talking about referencing something. So I think what you're saying is for future Elixir developers who are learning Ecto, they're just going to need to go to your book. No, (laughs) I don't know. Unless they have their running list of queries already at hand. Yeah, like I, I don't, I don't know. Like I think, how do you, how do you compose your query? I mean, as a beginner, don't worry about c- composing. You don't need to worry about it at all. Just have it right there. Put it in your context. It's fine. Like it's not going to kill anything. It, you know, import ecto.query and just, just go for it. I mean, as your your app grows, you're going to feel like it gets dirty or not. Mm-hmm. And if it feels like it gets dirty then take the opportunity to maybe reorganize into query modules. That's what I do, but you don't have to. You know, you, some some folks actually like to put it into their schema folders, right? Because it's it's describing that schema and how to query that schema. That makes sense too. I, I just don't organize it that way. 
Um, but I wouldn't worry about it so much. Um, the, in my head, the context module is like the orchestration, you know, bit. And so uh, querying, you know, data is is just relevant for orchestration. So I, I don't know. I don't think, I don't have a big bother about like where I put queries. I just know where I ended up doing it for composing queries. That is like, it's purely for composing. Speaking of composing, one thing you're probably doing differently here compared to like the Phoenix generators is you're not calling repo dot all or repo dot one at the end of your queries. You're just passing Correct. like your functions just return a, a query a ecto query. That way they can kind of be composed. Like you can call multiple functions that combine up to a, a larger query. And then somewhere else in your application, maybe in your parent context is where you're actually making your repo calls. Correct. That's exactly how I do it. Yeah. Those query modules are only for composing stuff. They don't actually hit the database at that moment. They're just composing the query to be prepared to be hit. You know, the context module usually is where the repo.all, the preloads um, might go that the actual database hit will go into the context module typically. And one that has always confused me, and I just tossed this in there because I just, I've never understood it truly. What is the pin operator? Why do we need it? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was some Elixir language like special operator thing, but it's not, it's, it's not actually, it's just the way that Ecto parses the AST, right? So you may know this or not, but a lot of the Ecto query stuff, a lot of the Ecto stuff in general are all really macros. And so the, the code that gets called is actually like AST and that caret operator is, it's just a thing that Ecto made up that says that when it starts with a caret, we're going to take the rest of that AST and know that that is an external reference because we're still talking the abstract syntax tree here. So like the external reference means I am not talking about Ecto query, you know, functions right here. I'm not talking about my database table or the column name or whatever, because it's, it's so, they made it so representative of the SQL underneath that you can like type in T dot ID and dot ID, you know, doesn't mean anything to you, the rest of your Elixir code base, but T dot ID is going to match the table, you know, named T dot and the column ID, right? So they they transform that through the macros there, the AST, and they transform that to the proper like way to talk to, to SQL to go grab that, right? So you have to be able to escape that that understanding of the code. And that's what the caret operator is for. And the caret is just saying, hey, I am not talking about Ecto here. I am, I'm talking about an external variable that already exists or expression that already exists like outside of the Ecto query uh, macros. So hopefully that made more sense than before because <laughs> anytime you're talking about AST and macros, like, mm, no. Nope. <laughs> I feel like most people yeah, just you're either tell doing you to more use damage it. or not. <laughs> They're just like, use it for the parameter that you're passing in and that's the one you want to match it on. I'm like, why? Why? Okay, external. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also a there. pattern matching thing because I, like, I, I've written a pin operator inside of an assert receive test. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So like you need a reference here on one line and you need that, like you need that, like you don't want to assign the result to a new variable. You want to like make sure it matches the, the reference from the previous line. So the pin <laughs> operator, like inside of a pattern match. Yeah also kind of enforces that like the actual value of that variable is being yeah. matched instead of like assigning to a new or pattern matching onto a new variable. Yeah. Having come from programming languages where you had to do manual pointer, manip- manual pointer manipulation, where, you know, you'd declare something, say this is a pointer, and then you'd have to dereference the pointer somewhere else to actually get at the underlying value, which I'm so grateful we don't have in modern languages like uh you know in javascript or elixir you know we don't have to do that but sometimes it's helpful and i kind of think of that little carrot or you know i think it's called a circumflex i i think of that as the you know like what you're saying owen it's the reference like going back to what is this actually pointing to the val the underlying value and i i think of it like that like it's a dereferencing a pointer but that's probably more confusing if you don't know pointers than just so you can ignore that <laughs> circumflex today i learned circumflex i just it's said french class grade seven just came back to me because i did know what each accent 
was named before, but I forgot that that actually, the little, the carrot, that's what that one is. <laughs> so, Mark, thank you for sending me back to middle school. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I see here, like, we got some notes on, like, some fun things, some, some edge cases we've bumped into while working with Ecto. I know we've already kind of hinted at some of my uh, fun escapades with Microsoft SQL database and the TDS adapter. Uh, has there been some other kind of fun in quotes <laughs> or like maybe frustrating <laughs> things you've kind of bumped into while Sarcastically uh, working fun. with yeah. that? Exactly. Oh, man. One thing I think, I feel bad about people who are coming into programming today and who are taking the, like the boot camp route because you're trying to cram in as much as you can into like three months and you're learning programming and web, which I've got to learn HTML, I've got to learn JavaScript, I've got to learn CSS, and I've got to learn a, a language that does templating. There's so much you're trying to cover. They don't really touch on SQL, right? Most places are not going to go into SQL and like, this is how, you know, if you do anything, you're probably using an ORM or, you know, whatever framework it is you're using to like do get a, a value out for an individual record. It's not so much the how do I write a more complex query? So I just feel bad for people who are coming to programming, not through the traditional way of going through a university or college where that's thrown at you. You were required to have some of these classes. And so I, I feel like we do need better tools to make it more approachable, to help people ease into it. It's like, yeah, Ecto can do a whole bunch for you. The generators can get you really far with being able to do a gets and order buys and all that. But now I want to do something really goofy. And I know the database is really powerful. It can do this. I don't know how. I don't even know how to look up what I don't know, right? Like, I think that's kind of where I, I have sympathy for this, you know, upcoming programming generation. Mm -hmm. Even connecting multiple repos to an Elixir mm -hmm. app is not like, like you don't see a lot of documentation about that. So, and then like the config kind of, like always kind of leans on like one repo. So kind of uh, solving that problem you know, the first time I did it was a little bit tricky, but now that I have, it's like, it's a little bit clearer. So when was the time that you had to do that? Like time-wise, was that like two years uh, ago? Every day recently. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, yeah, was gonna, I thought they got better. I thought it got better though. Cause it is better. If I was, if I was working with multiple Postgres databases, it would be easy peasy. Mm -hmm. uh, part of the problem is like just, some like tedious, 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 tedious adapter <laughs> oh, <laughs> gotchas. <man. laughs> okay, now tedious. is that a dad joke yes. or a pun? <laughs> it's a convenient pun. Okay. The other running <laughs> theme this season has been Owen is also teaching me about the difference between a dad joke and a pun. So whenever I come up with the example, we're, we stop and evaluate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if there's a setup and a, a really disappointing punchline, then you're deep into dad joke territory. <laughs> disappointing punchline. I like that criteria. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we, like you'll be compelled to laugh, but you'll be like, ah, I can't believe I'm laughing at that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's always always interesting when Owen talks about you know various things that he's facing in in his project. It always reminds me a little bit of, of time travel. You know, this is a problem that you probably were going to be dealing with a few years ago, but you're dealing with it now. So, hey, time travel. Just think of it that way. You're one of the time travelers, Owen. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's so excited. Yeah, it, doesn't make it, better. it doesn't make it better. <laughs> I'm going to go forward in time to when this when all the problems are solved. <laughs> um, Man. So another question I had, there are different things you can do with like mix ecto dump, mix ecto load, setup, uh, reset, like different kind of actions you can take at different times. When is the right time to use various options there that I just listed? Yeah, I don't I don't know if there's like a a right time. I every time that I've done it, it's it's because some other developer ended up making a change to a migration that um broke other people's systems. And so instead of instead of like and and talking about development environments here, right? Test mm -hmm. environments. Um so instead of like fixing that we we squash all the I call them squashing the, all the the migrations and that would be mixecto dot dump and then once you've squashed it you now have a resulting SQL file that represents your database uh, structure at that time 
And then to get that back up, like like say a new developer with a new laptop, you would do mix ecto.load and you'd point to that that SQL file. Uh, so that was that was really helpful, you know, for us to get around that problem instead of like having to like deal with old old migrations that don't really matter anymore. Hmm. Um, I always thought yeah. reset helped with that, but is that just putting you back to an empty development state at the current yeah, level? Reset of is just dropping and creating and remigrating. Yeah. Okay. So right. dropping and creating that's those are still like necessary things. That's about your your overall database. But migrating is just going to go through, again, your schema migrations table to see where it's at, goes through all your migration files, runs the ones that aren't there, and then you're, and then you're done, right? So but, how does um, dump help you when the migration, the, when there are a bunch of bad migrations in there? Yeah, yeah. So like say it's also helpful when prod and development may have gotten out of sync. Uh, that typically happens when you you may have gone up to prod, you consoled in, you found some performance issue, you created an index, but then you didn't actually backport that, you know, into your migrations or something. So things are out of sync now. And so uh, what I've done is is go back to your mix ecto.dump, your SQL, which which uh, represents your structure at that time. You can just edit it right there, right? And you don't it doesn't actually run a migration, you know, uh, to get into your local database anymore, right? Uh, instead you run mix ecto.load and that that loads that SQL file into your database. You still might have migrations to run, you know, after that. You know, it's a snapshot of your your database schema at that time, so you might still have new migrations that come in, and that's okay. Um, but instead of having twenty migrations to run now, it's just one SQL file. So, like efficiency wise, it's a lot faster to do that. And so, uh, you know, the question was like, when do you when do you do it? You do it when you uh, when you have a lot of migrations that don't really matter anymore. That are like five, ten years old at this point. No one's no one needs to care about them anymore. So you're just going to take a snapshot of what it looks like today. Boom, there's your there's your your structure, you know, now. Now we just load that back in all in one go and then uh you kind of start fresh with uh migrations going going forward. Um and uh that can also happen when yeah, when production it's just the opportunity. They're like, "Why do I need to care? If some migrations broken, squash it. You know, production's out of sync, squash it and and make the uh <laughs> make the edit on the on the SQL file directly there." Um it's just a simpler operation at that point instead of running 10, 20 migrations. So like, no, I don't, I don't think there's one point in time where it's like, ah, this will solve it. <laughs> I think that's just an efficiency problem more than anything else. That's where I've seen it the most is when people had like years of migrations. And that most of the time I saw that was in Rails apps and blowing away your test database and running your migrations could then take minutes to run through all these migrations uh, doing all this data changes because you know data migrations were in there with your structure migrations yeah everything was going there and it just took a long time and so it's like well just squash all that so i think that that makes sense i want to throw out another scenario where i think it's helpful so like right now something i'm working on is showing examples of how to do like i want to deploy my pr so i've got a pr i want to auto deploy that to a machine like a a running server so I can actually interactively play with it. And I want to have data. So if I can have do a, like a mix ecto load and load up some staging data so that it's not an empty database, just load up some data, then I can have something to actually play with in my test environment so I can, you know, show off the feature I'm working on or whatever. So I think that's another scenario where, you know, like mix ecto dump and ecto load could be helpful. Yeah, and just to be clear, the ecto.dump is not going to drop. It's not going to uh, export your actual data. It's just the structure, right. right? So, but in your example, that's a great example of using ecto.load from like a dump from staging because ecto.load it doesn't care. It's just going to take a SQL file and, and and pump it into your database, right? So you can feed it a staging, you know, anonymized data, you know, SQL file, and yes. yeah, and have a good environment to play in. That's a great yeah, example. Thank- Thank you for clearing that up for me. Oh, yes, because like what I'm actually talking about is the way I was actually planning on doing this was having like a some code that I run like a module that will seed my data. Mm-hmm. But yes, I was I was still thinking about using ecto dump and ecto load, but like <laughs> to save on the whole uh, booting it up, right? right? But yes, like populating it with data still has to happen yeah. separately. T- technically speaking, there is a little bit of data that's dumped as well. And that's the schema migrations table. Right. Okay, it has to know <laughs> true, where it's at. True, yeah. But other than that, yeah, there's no other data that's actually dumped. It's just schema stuff. 
And you could you could still split your schema dump from like you could have a schema dump and then like manually create a SQL file and like load your schema and then load your data mm-hmm. in separate yep. processes. There's like multiple ways to solve these problems, I think. But yeah, though um, so whenever you idea. do decide to do this ecto dump and ecto load stuff, you're permanently you know adjusting how you start how do you how you get a new developer on your app at that point, right? Cause they don't have migrations anymore. Probably m- almost all of these Elixir and Ecto apps that are out there generate with like a ecto.setup alias, which will do the create, the migrate, but it doesn't have ecto.load in there. So you'll have to go adjust your aliases to make sure that, that it's, it takes care of that stuff. That's not a big deal. It's just something easy, easy to forget. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of optimizations, you know, dumping and loading the schema is a kind of a way of maybe optimizing some messy migrations that have built up over the years. No discussion about SQL and even Ecto would be complete without uh, going a little bit more in depth about indexes. And I know when I was getting started with SQL way back in the day, you know, index, the concept of indexes was a little bit foreign to me until I started to understand like why, why queries were slow. And uh, I'll point to one of the resources that helped me understand things a lot, and it's an older resource, but checks out. Use the index, Luke. Yeah, it's use it's good. Nice. Yeah. So uh, have we all been to uh, use the index, Luke? <laughs> I have no idea over what you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> oh definitely. This is this like the, uh, aside from the wonderful information in there. This is also one of those websites that's like a good snapshot of like late '90s websites. Yes. Uh, I just, just not, opened it. it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great resource, and hopefully, I haven't offended anybody. But just to give you an idea, the the logo is a squirrel with a lightsaber. I guess you know. Okay, so it, it is like a Star Luke. Wars reference. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, very much. Yeah. <laughs> And, and that's and this is I forgot to mention it earlier, but this is like one of those awesome resources that yeah I just I just always go back to when I need to figure out like what's the right index to use and yeah there's a, they have a section on there about performance and scalability you've got things about like how an index actually works uh, in there how null works and like all these different types of databases they talk about Oracle in there doing the St Mary's cross right now if you have to work in Oracle. <laughs> All right. What partial indexes are? It's a good educational, you know, site and this is not to I'm not going to straight up rip stuff off their website for Ecto and Prod, but it's it's having that context and that kind of like information available in a nice searchable way. It's just amazing, right? They've got some recipes in there like querying the top, you know, n n rows, for example. Uh and and this who you know, whoever wrote this, I, I don't know them, but whoever wrote this, they they are they must be experts because they have it in DB2, in MySQL, in Oracle, in Postgres, and then MS SQL. You know, like all of the flavors out there. And you would think that SQL being a standard language, that there wouldn't be that much of a difference, but there is, uh, which is a little frustrating. This is great, <laughs> yeah, Owen. The, you're holding back on me. Or the you explanations were. on that site are amazing. Like they're like they were plain English enough for me as a new developer that I was able to understand indexes and like when to use them and how not to overdo it with indexes, which is another thing. Like you might think, oh, now I understand indexes. I will index all columns on all tables. What could go wrong? (laughs) What could go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And with that, I feel like this conversation has come not complete because I'm not an expert on Ecto now, but I definitely feel a lot better. So thank you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Ecto's a whole wide world of information. Like it, you think you know an, a lot, and then you you realize you don't. Nope. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost just as dumb as I was five years ago about SQL and Ecto. Nope. It's it evolves. You know. It's, yeah, it's and it was deep. really it was really difficult to really pull my brain back after having put it down for a few years, concentrate on some other things, and then to be on a little sort of project where I was suddenly writing a lot of queries, and I wasn't necessarily like told I would be writing a lot of queries. I just like looked at the UX design and realized I had a dashboard that had stats on it. And the way that you get Mm. stats is to calculate the, you know, the calculate the stat and you need to get the things to calculate it. And so I'm just sitting here like, Oh, it was hidden under like three layers of things. And now I'm writing Ecto queries. So being confronted with that was kind of jarring, but I'm glad I have this index Luke situation to work with now. 
I'll just wanted to mention one more resource that I've always found helpful. They have a like they have versions of the site for multiple different databases, but PostgreSQLTutorial.com is amazing as well. Uh, they have one for MySQL tutorial. We're gonna have links to all these things in our show notes. So if anyone's listening to this and you feel a little bit overwhelmed about Ecto and SQL, you're kind of getting started with database queries and that kind of thing. I would say maybe start with just raw SQL. Try to get your grasp of like how the database works at like the low level, and then think you'll be like then the Ecto stuff will make a little bit more sense mm-hmm. as you're like putting things into your Elixir application. That's something that's worth pointing out, though. Ecto really with the the, the way we are able to structure our queries, it's very thin layer over SQL. Right. So it is, it, it really kind of exposes a lot of the SQL, especially when you start doing fragments and that you can do those kinds of things. Right. So it is beneficial to take that step deeper and look at what you can actually do with SQL. Yeah, right. You're using absolutely. a lot of the same terms as the raw SQL, uh, you know, syntax would be using as well. Well, as much as I would love to continue learning about Ecto forever, because it this is this one hour has been so helpful for me, and I hope it has been helpful for our listeners as well. I'm going to have to pass the mic to uh, David and Mark for any plugs or asks that you have for the audience. Anything you're wanting anyone to check out? Two things. I've mentioned it at the top of the episode, but I'm working on a book called ectoandproduction.com. So all it is right now is just a sign-up page. I'm really hoping that over the next month, maybe by the time you know this episode drops, I'll start dripping out some articles and content out there. So go check that out. That uh, If you sign up, I'll just give you a quick notification to let you know, uh, email notification to let you know that it's, there's something there now. And then uh, the other thing, not related to Ecto, is I, I'm about to drop a library called SEO. And so this is a library framework really to help organize and streamline how to get search engine optimization for your Phoenix apps. So if you have an Ecto schema of like blogs with many comments on there, you, (laughs) you might need, you're probably aware of like, there's ways if you just drop your link into Slack, right? Slack will try to, you know, unfur, it's called unfurling. It'll unfurl your website. It'll grab the title, the description, and it'll look for an image. Like there's other like little pieces of data in there. And that's just one example. There's like a ton of other like ways to optimize your your page for search engines. And so this library is going to help streamline how to do that well, because <laughs> knowing about it is half the battle. And, and then the framework is going to help you uh, build it in a not so tedious way. So those are my two, my two drops. Mark, what about you? I would just say that David and I are on another podcast, the Thinking Elixir podcast. If you haven't heard us, check us out. We, we like to talk about Elixir there too. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being here. That's it for today's episode of Elixir Wizards. Thanks again to our guests, Mark Erickson and David Bernheisel, for joining us. I'm Sundimian, and my co-host slash guest is Owen Bickford. Elixir Wizards is produced by Hangar Studios and is brought to you by SmartLogic. Here at SmartLogic, we build custom web and mobile software. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Flutter, and more. Need a piece of custom software built? Hit us up. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Your reviews help us reach new listeners. You can find us on Twitter at SmartLogic or join the Elixir Wizards Discord. The link is on the podcast page. And see you next week for more on parsing the particulars.